podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, Ian, so in today's episode, we are talking about five things we like, just five things, <laughs> five general things. Uh, we're going to talk business, talk business mindset, business ideas, and uh, hopefully these five things will help inspire you to make the next great move in your location-independent business. Today's episode starts with something we liked from Twitter. Came across a tweet from Alan Walton today, Dan, and it was one of those things that like kind of like uh, confirmed what we were already thinking. We were, we were talking about this point, and then I pulled up Twitter, and I was like, wow, other people are thinking this as well. So what Alan says, at Alan Third, if my Twitter feed is to be believed, everyone is making easy money on crypto, DTC e-commerce, online courses, buying storage units in multifamily homes. <laughs> this kind of crap isn't good for my mentality. And I'm the guy who made this feed, meaning I curated all these people that I'm reading about. He goes on to say, it makes me question my methods and results. Why is making money so much harder for me than it was before? What am I doing wrong? What am I not noticing? Goes on to say, everyone's situation is different and you can't directly compare. Different drives, advantages, and disadvantages. Yeah, what a wonderful tweet and something we just wanted to discuss. We kind of came up with the header here of managing FOMO or fear of missing out. Um, this kind of sometimes like irrational and it can become like a runaway train where you're starting to think, you know, what I'm doing is difficult. It looks so easy out there for everybody else. You know, I should just switch gears and do something that's easier. I think managing FOMO is absolutely fundamental and it's not unique to Twitter feeds. In fact, Managing FOMO was something that was that has long been a, a theme on this podcast. Finding a way to have that singular focus so that you can do the very hard thing. Yes, it's still hard that we're all trying to do here, which is grow a business. The first tweet that I saw, Dan, this week that I started to get FOMO from was uh, Naval tweeted. He like listed how all these different, in some cases, commodities, but all these different stores of value had gone up. So it was like yeah. crypto went up 150%, you know, housing went up this much. And it was like, if your portfolio hasn't gone up... Everything's up. Everything's up, by the yeah. way. I picked up... I dropped into... I won't tell you the full backstory, but I dropped into Rite Aid the other day to buy some mouthwash and some toothpaste. And uh, <laughs> I got a like a $16 bill. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, maybe my stocks are up, but this this, this is not sustainable. <laughs> the fact that you got to preface this with uh, not the full story, but you're just buying toothpaste and mouthwash makes me very nervous. But <laughs> more on that on a future episode. <laughs> so Naval goes on to say like, if you're basically if your net worth hasn't gone up uh, thirty to fifty percent, you're this falling year. behind. Yeah, yeah, you're falling behind. And I was like, oh man. First of all, do I believe that? And then I started to kind of look at my asset classes, and I was like, according to his um, tweet, I was falling behind because I wasn't even invested in some of these asset classes. And it's kind of what Alan is saying too. It's like, oh man, like am I getting left behind here? 
But then I started to look at the asset classes that I was invested in, like your business that you own. <laughs> Has that gone up? Yes, check. Woo. <laughs> but you know, you start to do the math, and at first glance, for me, I was I was starting to sweat bullets, and then I started to dig into it, and I was like, well, wait a second. I am in control of some of these things. I do know what I'm talking about when it comes to some of these things. I am moving the needle forward. And so for me, Dan, what FOMO has a lot to do with is like what you can control and what you can't control and the things that you're focused on. All right. Well, so let me just, I have a a bunch of thoughts about how to think about FOMO. The first is, you know, the most common response that Alan received on Twitter was essentially this idea of, you know, a lot of survivorship bias out there. And people aren't sharing their L's, they're only sharing their W's. And I think this is true. It's easy to get a skewed perception of reality when you're literally going to a marketing platform where people are trying to market to you that they're winners and that they are smart. There was a comment made by Peter Levels who started the Nomads List website. Let me just pull it up here. He uh, highlighted a story that was posted over at Indie Hackers, and he said, yeah, three to five years and 25 to 50 projects with one successful, stable revenue-generating project. Let me say that again. 25 to 50 projects with one successful, stable revenue-generating project seems to be the range for people who get successful. So he's essentially saying the 1,000-day principle plus a couple years and a bunch of F-ups. And I think we could probably pull tape. We've been on here. How many domains have we launched? How many projects? We're at 100 plus, and we have two businesses. This is a very astute observation. And the reality is, is yeah, you, you do hear about those one or two projects constantly on these platforms. Yeah, man. I was getting sad about FOMO and losing out because I was following somebody and they were just talking about all the success they had, you know, and it's like, well, wait a second here. Like you said, it's like, where are the L's? You know, how can, how can, how can we all learn from this? And part of me f- started to feel like a boomer. You know, this is the, the term that's getting thrown around the internet uh, left and right now. It's like, if you're over the age of like 15, you're a boomer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Twitter, Twitter to me is an amazing platform, but it does feel a lot like I'm a boomer because these people with these accounts of authority are essentially using it as a marketing platform. And I'm not always recognizing it as that, you know? A lot of it is like the new SEO, a lot of it is the new PPC, but I'm like reading it as if they're writing it, which a lot of times they're not. We're like a bit too old and a bit too early in Twitter to like be cynical about it yet, you know? Just like it's this pure marketing platform. It's true. It's true. So there's that. Let me offer some antidote. What is the cure? What is the cure for FOMO? Here's an idea. I'll call it the three fives. The first is choose what you're doing with your career in five-year increments. We call this like the onstage test, the corner office test. Like FOMO is an emotion that comes up in like 24-hour periods. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if it comes up in five-year periods, it's a little bit sadder, right? And that's the point is like, how about you focus on like what you would regret not doing for five years, what you think's worthwhile for your life in five years. It makes things easier. Like if you see, I have um, positions and investments I wanted to make. And then like two months later, I didn't get around to doing it because I you know, judged that other things in my life were more important than making those investments. And yeah, I lost a lot of money on those, 
But the bottom line is I still made the investments because they were five-year plans. So that's the first part of it is like, you know, think about your strategy in terms of five-year increments and implement based on that. The second one, Ian, is uh, five hours a day. And, you know, the worst thing that FOMO can do is like interrupt your ability to focus on that one thing that you can control and that can make a difference to you getting to that next level. Our previous guest, Noah Kagan, said something that really stuck with me. And I know a lot of the audience, he said, look, whatever you focus on will grow. It will be good. So just got to choose something you can stay focused on. And that's what this five hours is all about is like, if you can't do it for five hours a day, and that includes for folks that are otherwise employed or who have other interests in their lives that are distracting, if you can't be on it for five hours a day, I say forget about it. It's not enough energy to get it to that next level. What Levels was pointing to, which is, you know, 40 failures, because that's certainly you know, what it feels like to run a business is that you're constantly running into things that just aren't really working out like you expected. And so it's like you're uniquely vulnerable to this FOMO emotion because you are missing out. (laughs) Like that's the thing. Like you're focused, which is pretty unique. That's totally right, man. You You are missing out and you've made a choice to miss out. You can't be mad about missing out if you don't try though, right? So it's like if you don't go for it, you see somebody else succeeding and having great success. I don't. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me that you can be upset. I mean, sure, emotionally you can be upset, but if that's something that you really want and you go for it and you don't get it, then you can be upset. If you didn't go for it and you just said you wanted it and then you just watched other people get it, I don't think you can be upset about that. And the final one is the heuristic, the rule of thumb that you are the average of your five closest friends. I really love this one because it's in a lot of productivity books and it seems like something you can write off easily, but I think there's like something so powerful in who you actually care to build relationships with, maintain relationships with, how you share ideas with those people. There's a lot of intelligence in that, you know, and incredibly, it informs how you behave on a day-to-day basis. So it's really hard, in other words, to you know, be that one isolated person who's trying to be completely different from others around you and puts you in a situation where you're uniquely susceptible to the untruths or the half-truths that are shown on media platforms. Whereas when you know the people and you talk with them on a day-to-day basis, you can understand the narrative backstory, what led to where they're at, and then you can figure out how you can integrate it more fully into what you're doing on that five-year strategy and that five hours a day. Yeah, totally, man. I'm sure that you've gone out and met some of the people on Twitter, Dan, that are um, spitting oh, truth yeah. or not truth. And then you kind of figure out where they're from and like how they got there. And you're like, oh, well, this makes sense. Or like, oh, I see. This is just a marketing engine. Or, oh, this guy's legit. That's why there's he's a lot not on Twitter that much. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of intelligence there. And it's also like no one's incentivized to go around like poking holes. And like, you know, if someone's talking shit, they're exaggerating they're being irresponsible or whatever like with their ideas like no one's incentivized to you know take them down yeah there's a lot of liability in it too god knows that i've written a bunch of tweets and hit delete i'm sure you have as well (laughs) (laughs) the other thing is you know and i want to share like some of our personal experience right now is we talked about earlier in q1 our business broke through a big plateau you know, and all of a sudden our revenue quadrupled. And we've been running at that rate since, 
you know, since January, February, kept happening in March, April, May. Well, now it's May, and we've sort of been at that plateau since January, you know? And this is how running businesses typically works. It works, by the way, with learning new skills, too, is that you sort of hang around at these plateaus. Why am I still here? I feel like we're doing the right things. And then all of a sudden, bam, you pop through. And the idea and why FOMO and like reading too much media and and starting to focus on a bunch of different things in your mind, the problem is, is like breaking through those plateaus requires an incredible amount of focus and force. And even in the face of nothing really happening for a long time, once you pump through that plateau and get to the next level, you could potentially parlay that into your next opportunity. I'll give a a concrete example. Right now, it is true to Alan's point that I'm seeing a lot of founders that have successful businesses that they don't necessarily need to manage on a day-to-day basis. They're taking that asset plus, say, half a million to a million dollars of like liquid money that they can invest freely. And instead of running their company, they're going full-time to investing in this incredible bull market in cryptocurrency right now. You know, you can do that, but that again is a focus, right? It's not just easy money. It's you have to then say, I'm going to put this thing I worked very hard on on ice and I'm going to refocus my energy over here. And that's something that is available to people who've made, who's broken through a plateau. It's not something you just sort of show up and do out of nowhere. Also, you know, we're in a pretty unique situation where capital is like very readily available at very cheap rates. And people are desperate to find good returns. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. We are uh, experiencing this incredible bull market, especially this year. You know, it's been going on for 10 plus years now. And uh, a lot of people getting cocky don't don't think there's ever going to be any ramifications, us included, you know. I think that although like these things are getting a little bit more sophisticated, Ian, you know, Twitter you're getting more sophisticated knowledge of how people are making money. It's closer to the bone than it was in the mid-2000s where you were Inc. Magazine and blogs, for example. I still think the same basic principles apply, which is that despite all the information, you can have this voracious input into your head like, oh, I'm reading all these ideas from everywhere. You still have to have chosen that focused output every day, whatever that is in your case. That's value that you own through your three fives philosophy, you know, your five closest associates, your five hours every day and your five-year strategy. And that is the fundamental path of wealth. Once you get wealth through that strategy, through launching 40 failed projects and one revenue that actually makes out, that's the revenue that then you're going to be able to turn into personal wealth and put into things like Ethereum, Bitcoin, a shopping mall, the next business, whatever it is. By the way, that focus, Ian, is what precisely what makes you interesting to those five people that are interesting and living the life that you want. If you want to connect with others, the best strategy is really to do something interesting to yourself. It's true. All right. So the first thing we like, shout out to Alan Walton, a great follow on Twitter. And yeah, this critical uh, idea of managing FOMO. Uh, the second thing we like, Your network is your net worth. Is it true? Is this statement true? I've been thinking about this just a little bit, Ian, because in especially this year where it's like stonks are up, crypto's up, 
you know, all these like yield farming schemes, like there's all these ways you can just have money literally dump out on your desk from the internet. As I continue to speak with successful entrepreneurs this year, I'm blown away by how much a phone call or a text is at the core of so many success stories out there. And so even as the paths to building internet business become more technologized and there's more software and systems involved than maybe people were five years ago, at the top strategic level and at these key breakthroughs of plateaus in businesses, it is so often a powerful nod from someone that can help you out. Well, until smart contracts take over, people still sign uh, contracts, not computers, which uh, might not be the case for very long. Meaning like human interaction is like at the core of all this. Like we have to agree with each other. We have to share information with each other. I still think most persuasion comes from in person or, or from like talking to another person. So it's no surprise to me. Yeah, I make my a lot of my financial decisions based on those people around me and purchasing decisions still. You know, it's not generally from a Facebook ad. If you don't have power brokers that you can call and text in your business, that is a relatively simple thing to go out and solve right now. And it's something me and you've been talking about too. Like, who do we need to talk to about what we're doing in order to help us break through this next plateau in our business? So I think that's really powerful. It's something we've been thinking about. Today's episode is brought to you by Pricing.com, a competitor price tracking and dynamic pricing software that helps all sizes of e-commerce companies make fast and effective pricing decisions. We all know that at the moment, it's ultra competitive out there in e-commerce land, and it's making it more difficult to get those fat profit margins. Pricing allows you to monitor your competitors' prices on a single dashboard. This means you can detect each price change and seize every opportunity to improve profitability. You can also set up dynamic pricing rules, allowing you to automatically match or beat any competitor's price without spending a minute thinking about it. As a revenue management software, Pricing allows online sellers of all sizes to grow fast and profitably with data-driven pricing decisions. If you want to compete with the retail giants without bleeding money, check out Pricing.com solutions designed to help you thrive on a tiny budget. What's more, they're offering TMBA listeners a huge 50% discount for the first three months. That's an amazing deal. Go check it out at Pricing.com. That's P-R-I-S-Y-N-C. And many thanks to Pricing for sponsoring the show. Just to recap, our first thing we like, the first topic, we're talking about managing FOMO. Our next thing is getting power brokers involved in your business, people who can open doors for you. Even in internet businesses, it's the people that are opening doors that often make the biggest difference. The third thing we've been talking about is inflation. Ian, you brought this up at the top of the call. It's something everybody's talking about nowadays. Everybody but the government, by the way. The people that are talking about inflation, Dan, are the people that are buying things (laughs) from the store, like me. Yeah. And so, I mean, we had this thing at COVID where we're all like, oh my God, the stock market's going to crash. And then like through the, all of 2020, everybody's portfolio kept going up and up and up. And I think everybody's like, Ooh, I'm super smart. Love this stuff. And then you go to Rite Aid to get some Listerine and you're like, Whoa. <laughs> and you're seeing it across so many asset categories at all time highs right now. So this is confusing, dude, because, and you know, basically 
in 2008, like we didn't have a penny to our names hardly. And like everything was crashing. And then the advice of our elders back then was like, well, you got to have cash sitting around so you can really scoop up and seize these opportunities, you know? Yeah. We're like, okay, let's get some cash. And the way we responded uh, specifically, almost like those boomers who were born during World War II or the Great Depression or whatever, is we devised and designed and deployed very intelligent cash flow businesses that were super lightweight, super efficient. And I remember we would like look at our books and be so proud of ourselves at like how clean and efficient and how much money was dropping to the bottom line relative to the P&Ls of our friends, the people we were hanging around. And I really feel like now's time to question that calculus, Ian. You mentioned how we're in an inflationary environment. The cost of capital is cheaper. I think the move right now, if you're running one of these efficient cash flow businesses, is to consider if you shouldn't get more aggressive with putting the cash back into the business in order to grow the total asset value while the capital is cheap. And so maybe the strategy is really the same. We're talking about the same thing here, which is like, yeah, now you have the cash. Now put it into assets. Like Try and get into an asset because the cash is worth less or it's becoming less valuable, but, but the assets are increasing in value. And so I think one of the things that like didn't happen that happened in 2008 that I, I guess that maybe I was expecting was like the price to go down and then you to be able to buy low. But you could say, well, it is low now. Trust me on that. Five years from now, wait until you see what the price of mouthwash is. <laughs> I don't 100% know how all this stuff works, but I do know that we worked for a long time to get cash and now you're seeing it be not worth as much. And you're seeing all these assets go up in value. And so, man... It's a complicated time to be an adult, you know? One other takeaway that I have from this is like buy things that you want to hold for like five to 10 years. So don't go out and like buy a bunch of crap that you're not going to use or that you don't want and like be stuck holding the bag. So don't buy anything that you kind of like don't want to own for five to 10 years. It's kind of been my strategy over the last couple of years just because I don't have a lot of confidence that this stuff is going to go on forever. And like I don't mind holding the asset if it doesn't. I'll say one other thing, and this is a call to a podcast guest. Here and more than ever, like people buying, uh, leveraging small business loans, SBA loans and stuff like that, and getting into these businesses with very little cash and then having very cash-efficient businesses, what you're talking about. So essentially getting in for nothing and then having this great cash flow. I'm curious to talk to other people that have done this. Like, Have you bought a business with an SBA loan? Have you leveraged? Have you gotten into one of these situations where you've got yourself a very profitable business for a very little upfront interested to hear from you all right moving on to the fourth topic the muddy middle of freelancing is this a real thing or not we were talking about this this week because uh, there's a big push over at dynamite jobs for us to you know we've been focused on full-time sweepstakes hiring for a long time which is a system that kind of like a little bit frustrates everybody, but works really well. And so we keep doing it, which is like, you know, if you guys want to hire, you say, Hey, Dan and Ian, help me out hiring. You write a job ad, you basically create a sweepstakes. And then a bunch of people compete for that big prize of the job. And now we even do a full service version of that, which is really, really working well for us, our recruiting services. However, you know, there's a lot of folks that are sort of pushing us to, to do gig work and freelance work. And so obviously we've used Upwork in the past and similar services, spent a lot of time thinking about this. And the problem, <laughs> the problem we're facing is like 
although there are some services that do freelance well, TopTal is one that's out there that's really uh, like a market leader. We've noticed with a lot of freelancers that they're just sort of stuck in the middle, you know, and companies that hire freelancers are kind of stuck in the middle a lot of times too. Like they're not really committed to the cash flow, so they're going to go for a freelancer. And a freelancer is like not really a freelancer because they're trying to maximize efficiency or productivity or income even. They're often optimizing simply to not have a boss. I'm wondering, is this like a real distinction or am I just like making this up because I'm jacked about productized services? Like my <laughs> personal perspective is that a serious freelancer would see the opportunity in building a productized service rather than just kind of screwing around with like a smattering of, of projects everywhere. I'm just so constantly disappointed with all the freelancers we work with, Ian. Yeah, it's not dissimilar to, the, to, to like a lot of uh, trades and things like that. You know, you, you find a mason that's like really good at stacking stones. And it's like eventually when you go onto uh, Angie's List or any of these places, like they're like a fireplace maker or they're like a fire pit maker or they like make patios, you know? They're not just like, hey, yeah, like uh, any stone, like I'll just like throw it together and like do what you want with it, you know? Like they figure out what their niche is. They figure out what they're good at. They figure out what's efficient, you know? And so this is kind of like the progression. Usually I think of a freelancer that wants to basically stay self-employed is like you have to essentially find yourself into some kind of productized service or a business owner that does a couple things good or one thing good. And so like this place we're talking about now is like these freelancers that are essentially for hire with a basic general skill set. And the company is like, well, we kind of need this done. You're kind of offering something similar. Let's get together and see if we can make this work. And I think you're right to say like those relationships generally don't last that long, number one, because uh, the company gets definition most of the time through that process or the freelancer figures out that they don't want to do it or whatever. So... I guess, you know, this is a long story on uh, what we're trying to solve over at Dynamite Jobs, which is the services marketplace. So our initial idea was basically like, let's take all these people that want full-time jobs and try and get them to be freelancers because a lot of them do have hard skills. They can offer these companies something. So we kind of went to them in a couple of test groups and we're like, hey, what about like taking your hard skill here? Let's say you're um, a bookkeeper, an accounting professional and like offering your services. And it was like a big void of silence. Like no one was interested in doing that. They're just yeah, like, it's like one of one <laughs> failed project. Okay. What's the next yeah. one? <laughs> I like want a, I want a full-time job. And it was like, okay, fine. Apply to a job. And if you get it, you get it. So then we turned and we're like, well, this problem still exists. Like there's these companies, they don't need like a full-time bookkeeper. They just need like a fractional CFO, fractional bookkeeper, whatever it is. So where do you find these people? Yeah. So traditionally, you'd say, well, I can't afford a full-time person, but we're still a legitimate company. We do a couple million dollars in sales. Even big companies use freelancers, right? But it's this idea of we're not going to do a full-time thing. Everybody knows how expensive the process is. People pay us $5,000 just to manage the process, let alone all the associated costs, salary, insurance, taxes, everything. So we're not going to go to all that trouble just to get like this one little piece done. So now you should have freelancers. Well, I guess our strong perspective and what we're trying to see push to a failure here in Q3 over at Dynamite Jobs is like to have that strong perspective that says, well, okay, you could go screw around with a freelancer, but why don't you choose a dedicated service instead that's focused on businesses like yours? That's a better solution. And then you go to the freelancers and you say, here's a better solution for you. You don't want a boss. 
we're going to de-risk the prospect of you choosing a niche because we're going to tell you what niche is working, right? And so long as you can partner with our customers, giving them great level of services, you'll have a successful productized service on this platform. So that's really you know, something I wanted to bring up, this muddy middle of freelancing. My current perspective, which is we'd call it like a business hypothesis, is that hey, that is, just stop messing around with that freelancer stuff. Just instead go straight to productized services. And it, I, we could be wrong, but I want to find out in Q3. And so I wanted to mention it here on the show. There's some attempts at this. I think we're one of the attempts to kind of solve this problem. I'll say this. I was talking to someone this week about recruiting. They were hiring for, I think it was like software engineer or something. And then totally separate, they asked me, how do you hire marketing professionals? And I was like, well, sure, yeah, we've hired a couple of CMOs for people lately. And I was like, well, why do you ask? He's like, well, I'm paying an agency right now, like six grand a month to like do this type of work. And I was like, well, how's it working out? He's like, oh, we're still like in the ramp up period. I'm a little bit impatient. You know, so the cool thing for me on that call was like, I think companies and what we've come to realize and why we're building both of these products is like companies are looking at both of these options as basically the same thing. Like I can hire someone full time to be my CMO, or I can hire an agency to do this work for me. Like the company is just specifically trying to get the work done. And now there's like a bunch of different ways to do that. And you're right. Like, I don't know how freelancers are going to fit into that equation going forward, especially at a high level. Yeah. And the problem scope we're talking about here is enormous. Like the future of freelancing, you know, remember Mechanical Turk? Yeah. Like the future of freelancing is going to look like that, where you, you just qualify yourself by actually just like doing the work in real time. Just someone's got to figure out how it's all going to kind of come together. And coming back to the top of the episode, that is truly the value of opening your mind to places like private communities like the DC, like the open communities like the Twitter and stuff. Because yeah, you're going to see like those ideas will cross pollinate. That's that voracious input. And now you're focusing it in on how you deploy ideas to the world. The kind of same ideas that lead to that emotional feeling of FOMO can actually like fertilize the soil of those five hours every day and say, oh, well, this is an interesting concept. Why don't we test it out with the asset that we can actually control? All right. The fifth point, final point. What happened to MMO? What happened to make money online? Where did everybody, where did everybody go? <laughs> I have a theory about this. Yeah, I think it comes back to Twitter. Yeah, make money online crowd was like selling courses, selling lifestyle. This stuff is still going on, obviously. But you know, the backdrop looks a little bit different when it's in Bali versus your parents' basement. So <laughs> that's part of it is like it's not that cool to like show that off. Shade. But no, I think that a couple things have happened in this space recently. One is like these opportunities are more legible, meaning like they've been around longer. So like sell on Amazon, like Everybody knows somebody, if you're doing business online or you're like even halfway have your foot in the door, like everybody knows like 10 people that sell on Amazon now. So if you want like the information about how to be successful on Amazon, just like ask your neighbor. You don't have to buy a course. The other thing that's happened is um, a lot of this I think has been like parlayed into crypto. Like the make money online opportunities now like are around crypto because it's the hot thing. So I think it's just been a little bit masked. I also think that like people are getting a little bit more sophisticated about it, kind of like what we were talking about on Twitter. It's like people have like professional Twitter accounts that are run by themselves and other people and they have like playing content and things like this. Like I just think it looks more real yeah. than it used to. 
I think a lot of the people that were like generalized into make money online have matured. The market's matured and they've filtered into specific niches. You know, things like weight loss and whatever it is, you name like your niche, you take the same skill sets and it's ultimately like more profitable to like get focused on, you know, sub markets where your value prop is like much more specific and it'll make it more profitable. So I think there's like an element of that too. Also, it's like really hard to rent a Lamborghini during COVID, you know, because there's like cleaning procedures and stuff like that. So I heard they're not renting them as much anymore. <laughs> Do you want to talk about this base camp thing that everybody's been talking about or are we going um, to take a hard pass? All right. So we went over, our, you know, five things we're liking this week. We're absolutely loving Alan Walton's tweet about managing FOMO media diets, focus, digging deeper into the narrative of what's actually happening and, and staying the course for your five-year strategy, all uh, things that we care a lot about around here. The next point we talked about is your network is your net worth. Taking a look at like sort of what phone calls, where are the red phones, so to speak, in your business? There's really important phone calls that you could make that could uh, help you take the next step third point we talked about was uh, our confusion around the inflationary environment in general and what is the appropriate strategy. The fourth is the muddy middle of freelancing and our perspective over at Dynamite Jobs that maybe freelancing isn't the way to solve the the freelancer short-term project problem. Maybe it's with services. And then finally, we lamented the loss of make money online marketers all over our feeds everywhere. Speaking of feeds, the internet just absolutely blew up uh, speaking about the debacle at Basecamp. For those of you not familiar with the story, we'll link up to what seems like a relatively impartial article outlining it all hands meeting at the company. Basically, the, the, the concept revolves around political discussions at work. But you know, if you dig a little deeper, it's like very specific types of political ones that are, are very difficult conversations to be had, especially in American society today. You know, Ian, part of me thinks, at least for now, we've sort of avoided these conversations in our internal company because we are so nationally diverse. Like there's only a yeah. couple of Americans at our company. And like, you know, we got put on blast earlier during the pandemic that this podcast didn't get more involved in American politics. And when I brought that to our team, they were a bit baffled by it because like they weren't switched on or like that interested in American politics in that way. These things are incredibly complicated. So I'm hesitant again to weigh again, yet I am hesitant again to weigh into a political issue. It does seem like the solution is to keep your company, you know, focused on what it is you do back to the FOMO part, because yeah, people want to drag you in a bunch of different directions and think you should, but it's probably the case that the initial challenge that you got everybody together to, to go solve is freaking hard enough. It is man. And this is a tough topic to talk about, but like you said, the reason that everybody got together was to work on this challenge. And then essentially, you know, there becomes opportunities to talk about other things. You don't just have to talk about the product. And sure. so people start to share their opinions about the way that they think things should be. And I think a lot of these things are valid. And uh, Basecamp basically made the decision that uh, they're not valid at their organization. Like these are the things that we talk about. 
And uh, it's just interesting to watch, man, because I think a lot of like uh, much larger companies have ways of controlling this stuff. And even smaller companies have ways of controlling this stuff. But you find yourself in a position like um, Basecamp did where... Where you invite it in the first place. Yeah. It's complicated to talk about because we don't actually know, uh, you know, we don't know exa- exactly what happened. But if you're an American, you know, there's political issues that are extremely tense and it's hard to get even, you know, the most open-minded, intelligent people to agree on on things, you know? Well, yeah, and just the polarization of everything too these days, you know? It's like there's there's just two sports teams now, you know? There's no way to talk about what's in between. There's no way to like empathize without being a supporter. One of the things that I saw on Twitter, again, related to this, um, and the comment was, uh, I'm generalizing, but it was like, well, this is the reason why I don't want a bunch of employees at my company. <laughs> this is definitely one of the reasons why, if you're opposed to having these types of conversations or conflicts, why you might not want 50 people in your organization because these types of things are going to come up and they're not going to be focused on revenue and your project and all the things that you started the company to do because people are going to have their own ideas about things that they want to do once they get in there and they start using the platform to develop whatever ideas they want to do. Yeah, it's the good with the bad. That's the magic of it, right? You want people to have their own ideas. So maybe we're saying a lot about a little, but a lot of people have you know, kind of combed over this issue. I don't think it's going away, Dan. I think that more of these conversations are going to happen. More of these things are going to be brought up by the media, which is just so hungry for this stuff. And again, like you said, it's like really hard to find truth because we're not in this company. We don't know the situation all the time. We're having to read it on second and third accounts. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to bring it up because it's, you know, everybody's taking a look at it and there's so many interesting things about it from a narrative perspective. You know, these two guys, 37 Signals has always kind of presented themselves as a model company through their books and all the related materials. And so, and certainly we've looked to them for a lot of inspiration here on this show. So it is fascinating to see them, you know, taking a big public L here and we'll keep track and we know how things sort of wash out and if there's any lessons to be drawn from it. But in the short term, I think it applies to the central focus here, which is you can spend a lot of energy in your day, like trying to sort through what happened at 37 signals, you know, just make sure it's not taken away from that key five hours executing your five-year strategy. Kind of my final thought on this. There's a bit of uh, like permanence to the way that these things happen too, like on these platforms, you know, it can be one thing to like have a conversation at my house or your house and like we can agree or disagree. And then the next morning we wake up and we're like, oh, I really don't agree with that. Or I like changed my mind or whatever, you know, but like once this like stuff is in the public domain, and it's like written down and it's like read about, it's like very permanent, which is yeah. kind of a tragedy because it's not always the way that people feel about these things. Like, you're allowed to change your ideas on things. You're allowed to have different perspectives as time goes on. But like, there's a permanence about the way that these things are getting written about. And it's kind of immovable in a lot of ways. And people pick sides. And now we have this big divide. Yeah, a lot of this technology that we work with is so counterintuitive. We're not built for our ideas to be products. You know, it's like not the intuition that we have when we're thinking through things to others, you know, like we've done on this, this episode here today. That's it. As always, we love to hear your thoughts, Dan and Ian at Tropical MBA, respectively. And uh, we'll be back next Thursday morning, as always. See you. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you.